0: Really good to see you here today. I'm looking forward to this weekend and, and uh, all that follows. It's always a fun time to, uh, to meet family members. If you're visiting with us today with some of the family, we thank you for being here. Uh, we hope you feel welcome because you are. And uh, we're going to be looking forward to also tomorrow evening. This is probably one of our favorite times as a church when we get to bring all of the whole family in that are not out of town or otherwise engaged. And we'll have communion together. We'll have worship uh, mostly Christmas carols, and, uh, and then just a real quick message along with the communion service. But it's a great time, and we hope you'll be here, and uh, bring your friends if you'd like. So anyway, God bless you. I want to talk to you day, today, obviously, about Christmas. It's always one of the more difficult uh, messages for me to prepare because there's so much you can say. And what I really felt uh, led to do this time was to talk to you about God's dream team. When we talk about people God uses, especially when we look back through history, I mean, check it out. You've got Noah. God designed a boat for him to build to save life on earth. Abram and Sarah, God was their fertility specialist. He was Moses' liberator. He was Joshua's conqueror. He was David's kingmaker. He was Solomon's wisdom. He was the miracle worker behind Elijah and Elisha. But you know something? The mists of time and unfamiliarity with the way they really were make us think that all of these people were just awesome people. We can't imagine ever meeting someone like them. But I'm here to tell you today if they'd had Twitter back in those days, you'd have known the real story. I'm here today to tell you if you'd lived around them, you'd have known that they had clay feet just like you do. I'm here today to not rag on them, but I'm here today to demystify the people God uses because I'm looking at a room full of them right now. What we need to understand when we, when we look at the kingdom of God is that the Lord is not looking for superstars. He's not looking for people that necessarily the world looks at. In fact, he chooses some pretty sketchy folks to work out amazing things. You know, when we when we look at um, the situation that preceded the coming of the Lord Jesus onto the earth, I have to tell you, it was a tough time. You know, right now we live in a in a world that's probably the most tumultuous world that I have personally experienced in my my years. We're living in a time when everybody's on everybody's case about this and that and the other thing. We're living in a time when religious freedoms are being attacked. And I think we'll see more of those times. But let me just say that on this momentous occasion of of the birth of the Christ child, that this exact kind of scenario was going on. Israel was occupied by heathen force that would not allow them to worship their God in total freedom because you had to worship the emperor. And that was a pretty difficult thing to to deal with. The, the Jews had some sort of freedom there, but really uh, they had to answer to Rome. And so God did his most amazing work in bringing the Christ child to the earth in the midst of that chaos, in the midst of war, in the midst of oppression, in the midst of what seemed like futility, because Israel, like so many of us, had a sense that we're God's chosen people, but yet it seems like the world doesn't recognize God's choice. It's kind of a hard thing to understand and to to grapple with, but I want you to know that it would have appeared during that time that that the Lord had maybe, he'd gone totally silent for 400 years. There hadn't been a prophet speak to Israel in 400 years. They were so oppressed and, and really in, in danger of losing their sense of who they were. It was pretty much a secular religion, Judaism was at that time. And um, so it's a very difficult thing to imagine God being able to do much with that people. But here's the thing. God is not limited by the current situation. Yours or ours. God is not limited. In fact, God loves those times because we're not trusting in ourselves so much anymore. God loves those times because there's no other explanation when good things come. God loves those times because he loves to elevate himself amongst the eyes of men in times of darkness. He likes to lift people up that live in the chaos so other people living in the chaos get hope. So they understand that God is big enough to penetrate my darkness, penetrate my situation, and come to live in me. What a wonderful story. Light always looks more powerful against the backdrop of darkness. That's just the way it is. And so in the story that we have before us today, God suddenly, and I mean suddenly, sent the angel Gabriel to engage four individuals who were to play major roles in the fulfillment of a promise, a promise that he had made that tragic day in the Garden of Eden to the serpent, Satan. After he had seduced Eve to sin, he emphatically said, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel." The individuals selected to play critical roles in this epic event were, by any estimation, culturally invisible and otherwise very forgettable. First, we meet Zacharias, an elderly priest from a rural area. People like Zacharias were treated with benevolent contempt by the priests of Jerusalem and the larger population centers. They snidely referred to men like Zacharias as rustics or even, catch this, idiot priests. They were in the game, but they were embarrassing to the religious Illuminati. I feel like sometimes... We judge the great among us by outward appearance, but God, on the other hand, is looking for some hearts that he can mold. And when we think too much of ourselves, we don't respond well to an interior decorator. We don't respond too well to somebody who is trying to remake us in his image because we're pretty proud of our own. I think that's the message that's so underpreached and so misunderstood, is that God is not afraid of what you bring to the party. He's only afraid that you just won't come to the party. Because if you come, He will do something in you that is so amazing and beyond your hope and estimation of possibility that it will blow your mind that's what Christmas is all about. And he illustrated it so beautifully. Zacharias, he one of those guys that that they never called him for his opinion. I think a lot, I, I hunt and fish a lot. And when I'm driving in the countryside, I I often see these little churches um, out in the country that I know probably have 15 or 20 people. And, and I, I think so often about those pastors and those people that serve in those places. And and, you know, they're, they're never called to speak at the big conventions. They, they don't, they don't aren't, they're not known by people outside their little, little circle. But they're God's people. And that would have been Zacharias. I mean, he was a nobody, guys. But you, we know him, don't we? Scripture says we are unknown, yet well known. Because God knew Zacharias. He'd lived in a situation that didn't speak well for him, except one thing. The Bible says that they were righteous people. They had a heart after God. They, they lived it in the real world. They, they were quiet, yes. They were unknown to most people, yes. They were not famous people and never would be except for what God was about to do in them. Let's talk about Elizabeth, his wife. She, like her husband, was well advanced in age, and we know that they were definitely elderly in the uh, lifespan uh, expectations of the day. Uh, One of the historians wrote of of Zacharias that the snows of 60 winters had fallen upon his head, so he was 60 years of age or, or better at the time. Elizabeth similarly. But the problem with them was this, that they had never been able to conceive and bear children. And while that is a problem in any, in any generation, in those times, especially in religious circles, the, 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 the gossip would have been, I wonder why God won't let them have kids. See, it was a shame and thought to be a curse, not to be able to bear children. It wasn't just a biological issue. They believed God had something against those people, that they'd done something that they were unworthy of, of child, of childbearing. And, and so can you imagine? She essentially was a pastor's wife. She essentially was the religious mother of a congregation. And yet she had to live with the ignominy of, of not being able to bear a single child. And she walked with that and she lived with that and she felt that. And, and so her being part of this story is amazing to me and so beautiful because here again, her deficit that she brought to the party in the natural world, God was getting ready to bless her with a miracle that even we would know her name today. Very cool. So some of us think, I'm just not worthy. I don't have anything to give to this situation. I'm nobody. Uh, The world will never know my name unless I'm an Instagram hero. No, no. God knows your name. God has plans for you. You can't possibly, you cannot possibly imagine So they're part of this role that and this this amazing thing that was going to happen because of the promise of God so long ago. We have another little lady that we meet named Mary. We have little, very little background on this young woman. What we do know would indicate that she was in the lower end of the socioeconomic scale. Most would say a peasant. She would likely have been somewhere between 13 and 16 years of age. In addition, we, we know that she was a virgin espoused to a man named Joseph. Her position in culture was less than zero. Until you became an adult, you really didn't have a voice in, in the society. And certainly as a young woman, she would have had virtually none. At that point in time, uh, she, she was literally invisible in society. The final member of this group, of course, was Joseph. We learned that he was a just man. That's all we know about him. And a carpenter. He, like the rest of the group, had a very, very thin resume as candidates for significance even in their own communities, let alone major roles in the greatest event to hit planet Earth since the creation. There's absolutely nothing we can see in their descriptions That would explain why the Lord would have honored them in such a way. But I think the Apostle Paul answered the question in 1 Corinthians 1 26 through 31. I'd like to read that to you. It says, For for I see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty or noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame those things which are mighty. And the base things, or the insignificant things, if you will, of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. That no flesh, here's the reason, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him... You are in Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption that it is written, that it is written, that as it is written, pardon me, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. So if you showed up to Hope Church this morning feeling like you're probably not very significant or very important or even maybe terribly godly. Good news. Good news. There's something under the tree for you today. Good news. God didn't expect you to just morph into a world beater. He didn't expect you to become just amazing on your own. Some of us are born pretty amazing. Some people have talent from birth that just, they got talent to burn. Some people are born into nobility, and by osmosis, they're awesome because they're born into nobility. God says, that's probably not where I'm headed. Because if people look at that as a picture of greatness, they will disqualify themselves, and they will just give up, and they will exist in the shadows. But all the people I've mentioned to you, we know about them. They were born just like you and me. They came up in less educated circumstances than we did, almost every one of them. They had no real resume builders until, until God smiled on them and put his hand on them and enabled them and gave them wisdom and gave them grace and gave them power and gave them knowledge and gave them all the things that we know them for today. We just supply the container. We have these treasures in earthen vessels. Translate that styrofoam cups in our culture. (laughs) That the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. So if you look at yourself and say, ah, God looks at you and says, ah. Because he does his best work with people that are not already self-made. Because they suffer from faulty workmanship. Chapters 1 and 2 of both Matthew and Luke team up to tell the amazing story surrounding the birth of Christ. With this unlikely team selected, the Lord dispatches the angel Gabriel to the temple in Jerusalem where a nervous and even dumbfounded Zacharias in a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity has been chosen at random by lot. That's like dice or something that they used in the old days to find the will of God. Uh, I haven't tried that yet, but that's what they did. They literally cast lots and the lot fell on his tribe and on his particular family and then finally on him. And he was exalted out of nowhere. He literally came from just being a guy that was called up to clean censors and, and do menial tasks around the temple for this holy day. And he, he got there just like everybody else to work. It was just work. He was a, he was a, he was like, he was like a guy at the concert that's cleaning up afterwards. And the lot fell on him. Of all the better people, quote unquote, that could have been involved, the Lord said, I'll have Zacharias. And so he's never been in this position before because you only got to do this once in a lifetime if that it was a major thing. He was representing all of Israel before the altar of God, burning incense, which speaks of the prayer and intercession about the nation before God. He's standing there doing what he's never done before. they would had to teach him what to do, and he's in there, and he's nervous, and everybody in the world uh, that's religious, and every, all the people of Jerusalem are waiting outside to see what happens. And All of a sudden, this guy's doing his thing in there, and he's feeling overwhelmed and probably dumbfounded because he's in this place all of a sudden. He's not used to this. He's not used to this kind of notoriety, but he's doing his thing in there and and lighting incense and praying and and no telling what all in there. And all of a sudden, an angel by, by actually the right side of the altar is over here on his left, and an angel. How do you figure I was just down in my little town yesterday, and now I'm here, and the angel of God is is here, and the words come out of his mouth, Zacharias, your prayer has been heard. I don't have, I don't have any doubt that he and Elizabeth had prayed every day since they got married for offspring. That's the first thing a couple wants. Certainly in that culture. I've been praying for probably somewhere around 40, 50 years. It never happened. And now, when it's impossible, now that the biological clock is totally broken, the angel of the Lord shows up and says, Zacharias, your prayers have been heard. You and Elizabeth are going to have this child. And it goes on to tell the story about this child. This child is to be the forerunner of the Messiah. He's going to operate in the power of Elijah. Whoa. Whoa. He was the hero of all people that love the power ministry. And he was weird. Can I just tell you he was weird? John kind of took up his, 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 his uh, wardrobe choices later on and Wore wore camel skins or some kind of skins and ate wild honey. Probably had it all over his beard all the time. Is a little little weird. But the bottom line is he was God's man. Bottom line is he came out of obscurity. He came out of impossibility. He came out of the will of God. And he said, You're going to have a child. And of course, Zacharias' response, like anybody's response, was Lord, my, you know, they were kind of old for that sort of thing. He wasn't a doctor, but he knew how things worked. He expressed his unbelief about how that could be, and he wanted to sign, basically, how shall I know? And the angel says, Well, here's how you're going to know you're not going to talk anymore. We're going to put a cork in your mouth so you don't talk yourself out of this. And you're not going to speak until the day that it's time to to name the child. And it was customary. Freaked everybody out when it didn't happen. The first child was named after the father or the father's family. But he says, you're going to name this child John. You know, I just feel to say this to somebody Your kids are not an accident. Every one of them has a destiny before God. I was watching these kids. One of my favorite things in the world is, I love kids. I just love kids. And to see all of these little lives standing up here, I'm thinking, you know, if the Lord tarries, what are these kids going to be? What are they going to do? What would please the Lord to see in their lives? And they're starting out with things most of us never, never started out with. They're starting out with an understanding of the Spirit of God at work. They're understanding worship. They're understanding things. My, my little grandson, I, I'm amazed at the things he already says. So they're, they're starting out with a jump start that we didn't have. And when God comes to them and when God speaks to them, they're going to They're going to respond. Oh, they'll have their days. They'll, they'll look like little rebels at some point in time. You know, they'll reject their parents' religion to find their own. I, I get all of that because Jesus is personal. He's not inherited. But the bottom line is God's got a plan for every kid. Somebody take heart in that. You're thinking, the devil's got a plan for mine. No, no. Yeah, he does, but he didn't get to win. You know, this, this angel appearing there was so cool. The angel spoke to him to quell his fear quickly and called him by name, told him his prayer had been heard and that Elizabeth would have a son. Then the angel went on to prophesy the powerful and important role he would play in preparing the way for the long awaited Messiah. Zacharias messed up. And I got to speak, as I said, that happened. Next thing we learn that we learn is that Elizabeth becomes pregnant to the wonder and the joy of friends and family alike and subsequently gives birth to John nine months later. Zacharias gets his speech after he's written down the name of John, after he's been obedient. The Lord opens his mouth and he begins to prophesy. What's so exciting about this is that these nobodies become the first people in 400 years. We, there's other part of the story with Mary and Elizabeth first, but the bottom line is, as this was happening, as, as the Lord was investing himself in their lives, they began to speak prophetically to the nation again. It wasn't the high priest. It wasn't even, even the leaders of the Jewish church. It was nobodies. People that had no training. But God touched their lives and the amazing things that came out of them were God birthed and everybody knew it. That's the beauty. They know who we are. They know what we can accomplish but when God gets a hold of a life and we start to do things that are born of the Spirit of God, people say, I know that had to be God. That's an endorsement like nothing else. Meanwhile, Gabriel had been dispatched on another mission to a much younger team member named Mary. It would appear that Gabriel entered her room and greeted her with the most amazing words, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you, and blessed are you among women. She was then told that she had found favor with God. How does that happen? Just by being who you are. Something inside her was a, what was right before God. It was poised toward God in some way, even though she would have had no idea how to have a personal relationship with God coming from where she was coming from. That wasn't part of what happened down at Temple. But in this day, she understands that something's going on in me that even heaven is endorsing and recognizing. And now I'm blessed. I'm, I'm not blessed among women, amongst that group. I am blessed. And he went on to talk to her about the favor of God, and, and she was going to give birth to a son, and, and she, she had to know from the description she heard of this son that he was the Messiah. She had one pertinent question, though Hey, uh, I'm not married. I, I, I have not had relations with the man. I mean, what's the deal? We talked last week about being overshadowed. Overshadowed. It's a supernatural term. When the Holy Spirit comes upon someone and she had no capability, she didn't have the biological equation right, but it didn't stop the Holy Spirit. And notice the prophecy that the Father gave or the the Lord himself gave, probably Jesus gave in the Garden of Eden about the seed of the woman. Notice it wasn't the seed of the man. It was the seed of the woman that would crush Satan's head. What about the fourth team member, Joseph? What a spot he was in. Mary was pregnant. See, the espousal process was the woman would live in the the home of the husband's family for probably a year or more. They wouldn't have relations until they were married, but they would be in the home. They would get used to life together. And how'd that happen? She's been in my house all this time. All the questions, and it would have run through his mind. Which relative was it? Which guy from the market was it? What... What? what? You could just imagine his mind was going 90 miles an hour. He couldn't, he looked at this woman. He could not imagine that somebody had done this with her. He was hurt. I'm sure he was angry. He was in disbelief because he knew her. Yet, as Matthew chapter 1 account says, he was just. And he wanted to protect her from the public shame that would be literally brutal. His head had to be spinning, and while going through his deliberations on what to do, the angel of the Lord shows up in a dream, appeared to him. The angel corroborated Mary's story, unlikely as it was, and instructed Joseph to take her as his wife without a concern and to name the baby Jesus. Went on to explain, you know, what that meant and basically who he would be. He even gave Joseph the scriptural confirmation declaring from Isaiah that a virgin virgin would become pregnant and have the very child the angel had just described to Joseph. Joseph woke up and got married. That's a word for somebody here. (laughs) After the birth of Jesus, Two other events take place that illustrate the kind of choices God makes as he undertakes the fulfillment of his promise, his promise to the serpent in the garden. The first notable and I think prototypical choice the Lord made was a bunch of rural shepherds that were living out in the fields taking care of sheep. Reading about the culture of the times would paint a very different picture of these shepherds than what we see on our Christmas cards. This is pretty much an entry-level type of job. Not a very esteemed group, to say the least. Not known to be trustworthy. Basically, not what you wanted your child to grow up to be. A stereotype, to be sure, but certainly one somewhat legitimized by the history of the times. What I want you to understand is that uh, if I could... Find an illustration. Uh, the police will tell you this: when when the fair comes to the town, comes to town, the the carnies that work those fairs are are, are a pretty unlawful type of group, if I could put it that way. There's more thefts go on, more robberies, more problems in the city. Uh, because these guys are, 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 you know, they just wander around the country and they don't have any roots, they don't have any stability, and, and that, my friends, is what these shepherds were. Your Christmas cards show these stately men with these beautiful staffs and, and trimmed beards and beautiful robes and all of that, and I'm just here to tell you, that ain't what it was. Why is that important? Because we have so mystified and glorified the people in these situations that we can't see ourselves as we really are in relationship to God's plan. This is important. I'm not just making a point because I'm making a point. I'm making this point because so many of us feel like we're not qualified, And yet God is choosing this dream team out of a group of people that you wouldn't hardly look at twice. And he's done this amazing thing. But I'm just saying, as God looks at us, as God looks across this room this morning, he says, I'll have that one. I'll have that one. I want to do something through that one that people will be amazed. I want to do something so outrageous that everybody that knows him will say, What? And they'll know it had to come from God. That's the whole beauty of this thing. The angel of the Lord said to these shepherds of all people. Gabriel probably showed back up. We don't know that for sure, but the angel of the Lord was in this mix. And Gabriel's the guy that's going to blow the trumpet one day right before the Lord comes back. He's a serious archangel. He's one of three original ones. One of them ended up being Lucifer, which he's, he kind of got booted from his position. But, you know, he, he shows up here and he, and he starts to talk and he starts to share what's going to happen. And, and, and then the angels all appear. There's this multitude. When the Bible says multitude, folks, it's a bunch. So they, they brought the tour bus down from heaven and there's these thousands, perhaps, of angels in a choir, and they begin to sing. And, and, and the Lord says, the angel of the Lord said to the shepherds now, I mean the losers of the community, he says, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. If I was God, if I was the promo guy in heaven, I would say, we're going to go down to the temple and have this. That's the venue we're going to. We're gonna we're gonna get the biggest crowd we can. We're gonna have the mayor. We're gonna have we're gonna have the the, the Roman uh, leaders of, of the city. We're we're gonna have them all, and we're gonna call an entire city together, and we're gonna make this announcement. But God says, "No, no. I think I'll choose these guys." What? No, no, no. These guys. They're my peeps. these guys right here. Uh, You can't believe that God's going to do this and uh, get this group come and sing to these people here. But they did. Second thing we want to talk about there is that God is not ashamed to give these guys a private audience with a multitude of angels. As they announced to the world the birth of his son, this happened to them and only to them. They were the first to have a personal encounter with the Savior child because they went looking. When they heard the announcement, they didn't say, Cool. Nice concert. They said, We're going to find him. We're going to. But they said, He's wrapped in swaddling clothes. That means rags. Lying in a manger. That means food trough. In a barn. What a place for. A king to be born. Well, there wasn't room in the hotel. There wasn't room in the the B&B. There wasn't room. Why not? Why not? You'd think that the Lord could have had his operations person call ahead. But God wants us to understand that he's not afraid to condescend to men of low estate. He's not afraid to get busy and dirty with you. He's not He's not afraid to be where you and I are not even comfortable. In fact, he likes to start at the bottom and work his way up. It's not a problem for him. The number four issue here is they told everyone what they had experienced. They're prototypical in that respect as well because that's our job. If we've encountered him, we should be telling everybody that we've seen him. They went around praising and glorifying God for what he had revealed to them. Why are they prototypical? Because we, like they, are not worthy of the revelation of who he is. It's not, we haven't earned it. And because our personal experience with him should cause us to share him everywhere and glorify him always in gratitude. The second group, that we want to talk about here in closing is the Magi. Obviously, these men were astronomers from the regions around modern Iraq or Iran. Apparently, they believed that a significant planetary alignment sequence would mark the birth of the King of Israel. As the nightly spectacle appeared in the skies over the desert, these men excitedly took note that Saturn and Jupiter aligned three times in one year. Once in a year was considered a a, an 800 year event that happened three times in one year. Then the next year Mars joined them. This had never happened before. We don't know at what point they mounted an expedition to Israel, but it is well after the birth of Jesus. That's for sure. We know that it is highly likely that they were not Jewish and certainly not from the Jewish faith. This hearkens to the all people thing that the angels announced. The reasons they are so significant. Number one, they represent, as I said, the all people issue to which the angels said the Savior had been given. It wasn't just a Jewish thing. It was the whole world, thank God. Because I was not Jewish. How many many of you would say, yeah, I'm glad that, that that provision was added. Number two, they came to worship And did not come empty-handed. They brought their treasure with them as part of their worship, and it should always be so. And they provided practical assets that would prove essential to his progress. They brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh, which came in real handy when the Lord had them move to Egypt. Because they were peasant kids. And gold, frankincense, and myrrh were highly regarded in Egypt and they were able to live while they were there until the Lord called them back and number three I love this one I don't have time to evaluate the whole scripture here but here's what happened they were prototypical in that they came to him one way and they left another when you come to Jesus something's gonna change Old things are going to pass away. All things are going to become new. You're not going to be the same after you've encountered him. You're going to go a different way after that. Let me remind you that the dream team, unlikely and unqualified as it may be, were assembled to make a good on the ancient promise that so incredibly is critical to all of us. As I look at this entire group of people that the Lord chose to introduce his son to the world, and in so doing keep his promise to the serpent, I'm reminded of the words of President Abraham Lincoln, the Lord must love the common people because he made so many of them. I love it. There were two trees in the Garden of Eden. One, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the other, the tree of life. Eve made a very bad choice when she was coerced by the seductive words of the serpent and she ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The collective blood of all mankind lies under that tree. For the wages of that was death. The collective blood there to see. The horrifying truth is this morning that as a result of the death of of death, The future is, is death is in the future for all of us. I'm trying to hurry here, sorry. As a result, death is the future for all of us. However, there's another tree in the garden. God's dream team was there to begin the process that provided it. As a result, there's something under that tree for you this Christmas. Almost 33 years after his miracle birth, Jesus was nailed to an instrument of death and shame known as the cross. Or the tree. Jesus, as Jesus' wounds leaked the first drops of blood they pooled under the cross. In that moment, it became a tree of life for all of us. This Christmas, whether you've never come to know Christ as your Savior, or whether you've known him that way for a long time, I have great news for you. There's still something under the tree for you. The promise made in the garden has been kept. The consequences of it are the gift of God is eternal life. You'll find it under the tree. The blood of Jesus Christ was the only thing that could cleanse sin. It was stated in the law from the beginning. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. And Jesus shed perfect blood for our heinous crime. Today, 2018. The blood is on the altar of heaven. It speaks. It speaks righteousness. It speaks freedom. It gives life. If you're here today and you know the story, but you've never come to the tree, you've never said, Jesus, forgive me of my sins, today it would be so appropriate that you walked to that cross, that you came to Him and He said, Jesus, wash me clean. Make me live forever. And He'll do it. You confess your sins to Him, He's faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. If you're here today and you've known Him forever, maybe five years, maybe 10, maybe 50, 60, whatever, let me just say, There's a lot of things that build up in our lives. There's sins that begin to encroach on us. And the good news is today that if I confess those sins to him, he'll cleanse me today. He'll restore the pristine nature of that relationship with him. And I think it's so appropriate on Christmas that we make sure that we leave nothing under the tree except our past.